Cast your eye upon the changeling, then look for the origin of change. Perhaps it is in the eye. Welcome you to Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm Ethan Maestri. And I'm Ryan Mazzocco. Each edition of Drive Back the Night, we take an episode of Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda. We analyze it for the things that we like, that we dislike, that we learn about our Andromeda universe. This week, we're discussing Lost in a Space that Isn't there. Hey, whoa, whoa. Hey, Ethan. What's going on there? What? What, what are you talking about? Do you hear that? Do you not hear that on your side? Oh, you know, it's the darndest thing. You know that day you came over and checked out my VR headset, my my Oculus that I've got? Yeah, yeah, I know that. Yeah. You know, ever since that day, I have had some of the weirdest glitches happening with my PC. I cannot figure this thing out. Hold on. You're saying ever since that day that I used it, it's been acting weird? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's the darndest thing. I've, I've, I've tried resetting the system and everything. I, I can't seem to get it sorted. Huh. You know, I don't think I've told you this because I didn't think it mattered. But, um, you know, ever since that day, actually, I haven't been feeling very well. I've just been feeling kind of weird. Not sick, but just kind of off. I don't know. Really? Yeah. That is weird. Um, well, first of all, you might need to have yourself tested or checked out. But that makes me think, let me go ahead and run a virus scan while I got you here. Holy cow. Uh, virus scan saying I've got radical isotopes on my PC. Oh, no. Yeah, dude, I think you need to go have yourself checked out. Oh, man, and I've got some phone calls to make. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I definitely need to re-up my Avast subscription. Wow, dude, that's, I don't know where you picked that up, but yeah, you definitely need to make some phone calls. Um, you know what? We'll, uh, we'll come back to that. We'll get ourselves sorted on that. But how about we do uh, this episode of Andromeda uh, lost in a space that isn't there? What do you think? Oh, yeah, let's, let's do it. All right, on with the show. I tell you what, let me do trivia, and uh, you start checking your contacts list. Um, trivia for lost in a space... That isn't there. Uh, this one was directed by Peter DeLuise. As I had mentioned before, this is uh, we're now a little bit past halfway through his four episode stint that he's doing back to back to back to back. And uh, so, yeah, he's the director for this one. And we've got one more uh, ahead. It was written by Naomi Jensen, Paul Barber and Larry Barber. Now, we've seen these uh, individuals before on many projects and it's a good thing they're on this one because they're going to revisit some of the stuff they've introduced in previous episodes uh, when they put their heads together for this particular clip show uh, that we're about to discuss. In addition, though, we have uh, contributing uh, ideas from Ethelie Ann Vare, a name we haven't heard for some time, uh, Emily Skopov, and Robert Hewitt Wolf himself contributing to ideas that are expressed or actually shown uh, from previous seasons of Andromeda in this episode. Our guests, of course, are uh, in archive footage. We have Brent State as Rev Bim. We have Keith Hamilton Cobb appearing as Tyr Anasazi. And we have John Delancey uh, appearing as well. Uh, for all three of these actors, as you know, we have just discussed Brent State. Uh, Keith Hamilton Cobb actually has just done a recent episode of Law and Order in which he plays a judge, interestingly enough. That was in 2022. And uh, John Delancey, if you don't already know, uh, he has appeared in several episodes of the current uh, Picard series, season two. So you can check him out in more recent work as well. And that's our trivia for Lost in a Space That Isn't There. Ryan? Do you have the summary for us? I sure do. 
The Andromeda is on the run from waves of bounty hunter ships that keep successfully finding them after losing them through Slipstream. After defeating this last bunch, Dylan becomes convinced of what he has suspected the whole time. He believes someone on board is leaking information to Pish and the collectors about their location. My guess is it's probably Rev Bim, since we know he's on board and we haven't seen him yet, and he just recently was working under the influence of the collectors. But Dylan has a different idea, which he explores as he and Rami study the body language of the remnant of our main cast, which all signs point to Becca. As difficult as this is to believe, she all but confirms it when she attacks and holds the rest at gunpoint when questioned. She is incapacitated and Trance finds evidence of radical isotopes in her brain. She has been, in a sense, possessed by the spirit of the Abyss, evidently since the episode The World Turns All Around Her earlier in Season 4, making it possible for her to communicate seemingly telepathically with the Abyss. Hey, there's Rev Bim! Oh no, that's just a flashback. Anyway, Rami and Harper will just make a digital facsimile of Becca's brain, use Dylan as bait to lure the Abyss presence into the artificial environment, and trap it there forever, like Professor Moriarty in the TNG episode Ship in a Bottle. They also have to kind of kill Becca to make it work, but she's only mostly dead. The plan works, and Becca is revived, though still unconscious, so the crew take turns sitting by her bedside, reminiscing and bringing her comfort. Hey, you know who would be really useful right now? Rev Bem. Where is he, anyway? Oh, wait, it turns out it really didn't work after all, as somehow Moriarty was able to escape the ship in the bottle and took control of the Andromeda and began slowly leaking oxygen, because this was apparently the fastest way he could think of to kill the crew. Fortunately, it gave them just enough time to plug Trance into the Matrix, where she destroys the Abyss being for good. It was actually kind of easier that way, wasn't it? This time it really worked, and all ship systems are restored, and Becca goes back to work. The end. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Ethan. You know who this show forgot about, but brings back for this episode? Um, I, I got a few ideas, but we'll go ahead, <laughs> let me hear yours. Not Rev Bim, okay. but Restorians! Yes. Shout out to Restorians. Haven't heard about them in a couple of seasons. No, we haven't. Yeah, no, Um, I thought that was awesome. Apparently, uh, since since, uh, Gabriel has uh, been defeated, they've gone the way of bounty hunting now. Yeah, apparently so. Have have they lost their way completely? I think they've lost their way. Um, I mean, because this doesn't seem like a thing. I I guess maybe they got to raise money. They got to raise money, yeah. And the collectors have the money to throw around. Uh, apparently, the collectors are basically just burning through any group that's capable because, as Dylan brought out, they've been ripping through them left and right for some time now. Yeah, and so now we're down to Restorians. You know, they're they're are like, they capable are, though? Because so far they're zero and two against the Andromeda. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> it was time for him to take a shot again. Hey, do you ever watch Doctor Mike on YouTube? No, I'm not familiar oh, okay. with him. All right, um, you know he's a He's a pretty famous YouTube personality. Apparently not famous enough. Well, he's a medical doctor. He likes to give uh, medical advice in an entertaining way. And uh, I just couldn't help but think of him because sometimes he'll review uh, TV shows and movies and medical scenes. And uh, I was thinking about him at the time when they were trying to revive Becca. And you're not going to laugh at this because you don't know Dr. Mike. But all I could think of the whole time was chest compressions, chest compressions, chest compressions. See, he has this thing where they always I, mess up. I feel like I they, know in context what you're okay. what you're saying. All right. Now I'm gonna have to Google Doctor Mike and or yeah. visit YouTube about it. Yeah, he's not like Doctor Oz, is he? Uh, in how how do you mean? Well, Doctor Oz isn't really a doctor, but he likes to play one on TV. Oh no, he's a practicing doctor. Oh, he is. Okay, he just yes. doesn't play one on YouTube. Right. He's actually a doctor. Okay. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Cool, cool. So, you know, we've already kind of alluded to it just a little bit here. uh, But one thing I'm noticing about this episode, a clip show is supposed to save money, correct? However, I feel like someone blew the budget on party decorations. 
<laughs> yeah, we're going to do this now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to do this now. So okay. uh, did you make a similar note? Um, y- similar, yes, yes. I didn't make the connection with the, uh, with the party with the decorations. the party decorations, but, yeah. But that's great. Um, yeah, my... My it was more of kind of just an overall statement of just why a clip show? Why is this a clip show? Yeah, because you're right. A clip show is usually designed to we have a very small a plot that just kind of is a vehicle for showing all the clips. Yes, I don't feel like that's what we're doing here. We have a major story. <laughs> yeah, we've got a major story. We've got a lot of CG effects. Uh, you know, it, it camera effects that are do especially down toward the end of it um, with the abyss. Um, but yeah, <laughs> a lot of party decorations on the Maru as well. You know, so um, I feel like they uh, they they may not have gotten the money savings they were going for by making this clip show. You know what? I think now that we're talking through this, I think I figured it out. What happened was. All of the party decorations and the CG and the production costs for what they did have, they ran out of money. And so they were like, let's <laughs> they were like, fill the rest of it. Well, we've got 30 minutes of footage. Let's pull some clips. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. No, this makes brilliant sense. So they, they take a page out of the Matrix when they say that whatever happens to you in there happens to your act. Your body responds in the same way. So it's real, right? My question is, why can't they have some sort of safety protocol in place to be like, hey, this is just a video game. This is just virtual reality, you know? So you get you get stabbed through the torso with the butt end of a force lance and, uh, you know, just game over. Black screen. Would you, yeah. Would time, you like to, to respawn. start over? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, um, you know, because when I go into VR and die um i don't immediately think oh god i've actually died right mm-hmm. <laughs> but i know we're, we're talking about a, a different level of the of virtual reality here i guess so i but, don't want to uh, play that yeah yeah uh so because this is a clip show it really all it did was remind me of the fact that um that was a really lame in for tear <laughs> i don't know what else to say but we had to revisit it and that was lame. Yeah, I have no response. I'd... As as well, you shouldn't. Let's move yeah. on. Okay. So I've got a character thing. This is just a very little thing. I thought we could just kind of start this out. But um, it seems little. At least it was very throwaway in the episode. But it stuck with me. And I actually had to... I went back and watched it again to see if I was, watch, if I was seeing what I thought I was seeing. Uh, here in this... In this moment when they confront Becca for the first time, I don't remember exactly what Rami says to her, but just she makes a point of of knowing that it's Becca. And Becca's response is, and I quote, you only know what you're programmed to. So, whatever, Becca's in fight or flight mode, right? And so, but the thing that's interesting about that was that, did you notice Rami's reaction no, I didn't. Okay, she... This is one of those things that normally you would think Rami would just be like, whatever, I don't really care what you think because I'm so much higher than you in, in as far as, you know, her thinking faculties. and But she kind of went inward and looked down and, like, she looked like she was... It cut her. Huh. I missed this. Yeah, I mean, it was quick, and I had to go back and watch it again just to be sure that... But but even on the second time I went back and watched it again, I was just like, yeah. She... Rami reacted to that in, an, in a way that I've never seen her react to someone. I don't know if it's because and, it was... And we are talking about the android, right? In that scene, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So, so Becca threw a little android shaming onto her. Uh-huh. But yeah, why would she react in a negative way? Because, I mean, yeah. she's been pretty stellar, you know, this mm-hmm. whole four seasons we've been with her. It Nothing wrong with, with her reacting within her programming, which, whatever, she, we've seen her act outside of her programming. She fell in love with, <laughs> you know, with, uh, what's his name, Gabriel, 
right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, she is capable of growing beyond herself, has demonstrated that time after time. So, you know, sticks and stones. She, maybe she is reacting a little bit. That shows a little bit of, um, I don't know, humility on her part, I guess. So I, I would say that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, okay. Becca's the one in the wrong. Well, yeah. Um, we talked about it last time. I feel like uh, we have a great opportunity to discuss this again. The subject of ship depressurization. Do you remember that conversation? Yeah, I do. I do remember that. So we assumed that the ship would decompress violently and quickly, right? Mm-hmm. No. Because apparently the something abyssy got in the system, Ghost got in the machine, but could only manage a 15-minute uh, depressurization cycle. Yeah, so that's what I was trying to figure out was, is what exactly is he doing here? Is he depressurizing the whole ship or is he just depleting the oxygen supply what would be the point in just shutting off the oxygen supply i mean open a portal yeah. open a door boom yeah. blow everybody and everything out and yeah. you've got free reign of the uh, of the systems you can fly the ship wherever you want to go yeah um or just initiate auto destruct i mean there you go there, I, <laughs> yeah, because is this the actual abyss? No, I don't think it is. It's mm -hmm. it's a it's a a, a component. It's something, uh, an operative of somehow a, a segment of the abyss. So if it's lost in action, but achieves its goal of destroying the Andromeda and Dylan Hunt, win. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't quite get this segment. But uh, I, I do under I do appreciate what you're saying there. Uh, depleting the ship of oxygen instead of depressurization. However, they use the term depressurization. Okay, but I didn't know if that was in two stages. Like first, we're they're going to deplete the oxygen, and then depressurize, which I mean makes even less sense. Yes. I realize. Yeah. But I but I, but I wouldn't put it past this show sometimes to, to come up with that as a to do the thing yeah. that makes less sense right yeah. right right yeah I mean, they we wouldn't have a job here so <laughs> yeah that is true but uh yeah so anyway i just thought i might bring that up again since we just did have an interesting conversation about that last time well so we've had our fun with our observations and whatnot uh ryan let's move on to other things that we've learned about our characters here uh would you like to start us off with that yeah, I mean, I guess it's uh, a pretty Becca-centric show, so Certainly I'd is. like to start with Becca here. Yep. Um, you know, we again we talked a little bit about this last week, and we have and the last show, and we have for the last several shows, uh, just Becca's behavior. Yeah, that she's been acting a little un-Becca. Yes, and we were trying to figure out what's going on with Becca. Uh, well, I think we just figured out what's going on with Becca. Do you think? <laughs> yeah she's a little abyssy yeah right she is yep. yeah so uh that's so that's I, been the issue yeah and i think that's interesting because we didn't we didn't immediately jump there no you know what i mean no and and i have seen this entire series all the way through i've seen this before um, but it's been a very long time so i forgot a lot of the details this is a very big detail that I completely forgot. So when we're discussing what's going on with Becca, well, the answer was right there the whole time. Yeah. And it was interesting because in the flashback, as you're paying attention to that section where Tyr is holding her at the precipice, it does look like the abyss kind of like swipes a hand through her. And it's just Becca that it interacts with, or at least it appears that way on screen. And I'm like, was that just a byproduct of whatever CG effect they were doing there. And now they're showing it to us. And with, with, with our minds colored with the idea that Beck has been acting weird. Now we're seeing that and reading something into it. Or did they actually, was that actually a planned thing? You know, seven, eight episodes ago. Yeah. And I can't say for sure whether that effect was 
planned and done deliberately for this purpose. But it does seem like it has been since right around that time that we have seen this change in Becca. And we've been talking about this change in Becca. And so, I mean, that's a... That's a writing team that has some sort of plan in place. Yeah. So they're able to use that or actually purposefully put that in there so that from that point on, we can gradually start seeing the effects on her character did, up to this point. So did we just witness a plot point being executed well over several episodes in a se- in a season? Uh, I'm going to say, yeah. Wow. We haven't witnessed that in a season or two. Yeah. No. And here's the other thing is that it's not something that you just follow. It's where they hit you over the head with it and say, hey, remember that thing we did? Here's the next point in that. Yeah. It's something that just went kind of it noticeable. Yeah. Clearly noticeable because we talked about it. Yeah. But still under the radar enough so that when it is revealed... You and I are both saying, oh, oh. yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it's very, it, very well. I will say mm-hmm. that, you know, for all the jokes that we might make about it being a clip show, there's substance here. And this is a, this is central to the story that we've been seeing unfolding over the last several episodes. And I did greatly appreciate the fact that uh, it was, it, it, it has now been executed very well. Yeah. And to that point, too, usually clip shows serve no other purpose other than to save money and kind of serve as a highlight rule, highlight, highlight reel. Um, But in this case, a lot of those clips were from things that we had not seen in quite some time. So maybe it was helpful for us to see those and remember them. Uh, I know for me. Personally, as someone who has paid more attention than probably most people watching Andromeda, it was still helpful to see those things again. Um, I mean, it's just kind of like a lot of times when you're watching a a serialized uh, TV show, it's helpful to see the, the, the recap of the, you know, previously on Right. Because you know that whatever they show in that preview clip are things that are relevant to this episode that you're about to watch right now. Yeah. There were. Oh, I was just going to. There were a lot of things in there that were just kind of fluff and time filler. Some of them, I think, were were probably like um, like character witness clips. And, you know, I guess those were they did serve a purpose in that sense, but we didn't really need them. Whereas I do think that there were clips that were re-shown that really remind us of what has happened in the past, how it is connected to what's happening right now, because I was too stupid to remember it and put it together. Yeah. Um, Like, in particular, one example I can think of is, uh, was it necessary for this show? No. But they do revisit that first season where Becca says, I'm not going to call you captain mm-hmm. and yet at the end of the episode she calls him captain and yeah. and you know makes the direct call back to that um not not necessary but i had forgotten that little detail so that for them to drop that in at the end of the episode was kind of an endearing moment having okay. seen that clip and so yeah you know this is this was um this is done really well in places it was done really well mm-hmm and how many episodes ago was it when Dylan basically called Becca out for being, what's your loyalty? Whose side are you on? Yeah. And so now we have at the end of this with her doing that and calling him captain and basically just making that oath yeah. to him. Yeah. That, I made my choice. Yeah, yeah. I'm in this. Yeah. I'm in this with yeah. you. Yeah. No, and and the fact that there were so many of these clips that they could have gone to, uh, to to restate the case that Becca wasn't acting right, but they didn't really show hardly any of those. They they showed a few of them, but not very many. Uh, mm-hmm. I I like the fact that the the clips that a lot of the clips that they picked for Becca 
had really nothing to do with the story arc, but they fit when they're exploring her character. And, and I thought that was actually really well done. Uh, in a battle of wits, Trance always wins, right? Yeah, but we've never seen her up against a Sicilian. <laughs> that's true. Never. Hey, that's that's two Princess Bride that is, references. <laughs> that is two we've been able to make in this episode. Yeah. Very good. Very good, sir. Uh, but I'm going to be looking for number three. Yeah, but uh, but how great was that to be able to kind of there, there was a, this wasn't action just for action's sake. This was actually uh, this is a, a kind of the culmination of everything we've been learning about trance, and now she's putting it to use to and actually taking the fight directly to the abyss. And that segment at the end was actually kind of chilling, kind of interesting, and um, yeah, I, I I appreciated that as well. Still doesn't answer the question. Is she a star or is she just the avatar of a star? And as the avatar of a star, how is she able to, you know, uh, become a small fusion generator? Well, she did the same thing that we've already seen her do, but that was that was in real life. Yeah. As she when she revealed herself to Dylan and she did the same thing in the virtual virtual world. world. Yeah. So, That's kind of why I put this down as a note. In a battle of wits, Trance trumps all, apparently. Her will is stronger than the Abyss's. Yeah, I mean, this was a section, or this was a partition of the Abyss. I mean, if it's the full-on Abyss, is she able to take it on her own? Or does she yeah. have to call on an army of of star avatars? Yeah. Well, that's a that's a question maybe we'll see answered later, huh? Okay. Oh, cool. All right. Uh, so, Rade. Uh, I, let's talk about Rade for just a second, if I may. Yeah, go ahead. Um, he shows a moment of vulnerability while sitting, uh, what do they call that? I don't know what the, it's, I want to say sitting Shiva, but I, I don't think that's the right term. Anyway, when Rade's sitting there with Becca while she was unconscious, he has a moment of vulnerability with her in which he reveals that he has a desire to learn. And I feel like this feeds into kind of the discussion we had about Rade last week in which we talked about, well, as you believe that he isn't experienced. And that I feel like he has some experience, but he hasn't put it all together yet. And so we kind of have an understanding of why he's here on Andromeda. And I thought that was a really cool uh, reveal about Rade's character. Did that uh, that strike anything with you? Um, as you say it, yes. During my watch through, no. Because, I don't know, that whole part was very uncomfortable for me to watch. So I didn't pay much attention to the whole bedside thing. I don't know. It's, it makes me nervous. Okay. All right. <laughs> Talking to someone who I don't know. Who's unconscious? You, yeah, you, yeah. you you're not you're not you're not with that, huh? I don't know. Interesting. I did not know this yeah. about you. Okay. But anyway, uh but for me it was well, it was just, I've I've been there. I've talked to people that I don't know if they can hear me or not and it's it's weird. Okay. It makes me uncomfortable. Okay. It's well, ladies and gentlemen, we've just learned something about Ryan Mazzocco. So there you go. We've learned about Rade. We've learned about Ryan. And it's, yeah. you know, well, there, there was, you go. And there was just, there was a lot of emotion. And you know how I feel about emotion. I know. You, I'm like, You like to cut yourself Ick. off from it. You, yeah. gross. <laughs> yeah. No, I know that about you. Um, yeah. So, well, you know, I, I've said my piece. We, we can move on from that. Did you have anything else that we learned about this universe that you wanted to bring up? Can I just, I just want to, can I take a moment here, Ethan? I want to talk about the investigation process at the beginning of this episode. Well, what about it? Okay. Well, they only have four suspects out of a ship of possibly thousands, right? Yeah. But they narrow it down immediately to four suspects because Dylan wants to know who on this ship is capable of being able to slip transmissions without Rami's detection, right? And so these are the four that she pulls up. Right. So are, did, did we need, first off, can I just say, did we need to, you know, check everybody's pulse? <laughs> Was that even necessary? 
if they if we could have eliminated it to four people right off the bat by just asking a yeah. simple question, did we really need to invade the crew's privacy? <laughs> I would argue yes. Oh, would because, you? Because yes, because our methodology for how we got to these four is completely faulty. Because in the end, it didn't matter. We got lucky is what happened here because they narrow it down to the four because these are the ones who technically have the ability to be able to get a transmission without Rami's detection. That's the whole premise of this investigation. Becca is one of the four, but Becca is not doing this in any sort of technical way. Yeah. So it could have been any of the thousands of people. So if they narrow it down to these four and they're investigating them and they focus their investigation on just these four, then there's going to be another crewman that just continues to wreak havoc. And they're never going to find him because they're looking for the wrong thing. So you're saying they that, got lucky. that examining the entire crew beforehand was actually a smart play. Yeah. Okay. I follow you. Mm-hmm. I follow you. I, I had not thought of it that way. Good on you. Okay. You would make an excellent investigator, sir. Well, thank you. A lot of people would be unhappy with you prying into their private lives, but you know, that's, you know, that's the times we live in. Well, I don't want to brag, but I've done a few murder mystery parties. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. And I was pretty, pretty, pretty good, yeah, Adam. Very good. Yep. Yeah. Good to know that. And Ethan, one other thing. This whole deal with with Becca and having this piece of the abyss in her brain or this connection to the abyss, whatever it actually is. I don't know if we really truly understand. Can, can we coin another phrase? Sure. She was being busy. <laughs> she was. She's being a little bit busy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, she was a busy body. Ooh, that's yeah. That's even worse. all right so anyway we have this thing going on we see this now we see that there is a direct connection that goes beyond anything that we understand this 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 goes beyond time space subspace or whatever this is this connection that they're able to have um and, and it's able to control becca in a manner of speaking so we begin this episode with just waves of bounty hunters coming after Dylan. And we've had this struggle this whole time through this last season and a half or so with, with the collectors, Pish in particular, right? Just really going after Dylan. And we have talked before about the short-sightedness of the collectors and Pish in particular because they know that the abyss and the Magog are coming. Yet they seem more interested in securing power for themselves and doing away with Dylan, who they know is the only defense against the abyss and the Magog. What we've seen with Becca here makes me rethink this whole thing. Yeah. Pish is not, being short-sighted he's not being self-serving he's not being power hungry he's being controlled by the abyss likely yes it makes sense right yeah yeah. i mean this is just what i'm seeing here Mm. so if if it's if the abyss is able to control becca in this way and do everything that is counterproductive to what becca and her and her crew are trying to do I mean, and, and we see her as, as a victim, right? Because if this had been any other, I'm going to use air quotes, agent of the abyss that was not Becca, that was not part of our main crew, then we know that Dylan would have simply disposed of that individual and moved on. Yeah. But because it's Becca, we have a connection. Dylan has a connection. He goes above and beyond to save her from the abyss. Risks himself, his own life. 
Yeah. His own consciousness, anyway. So, my question here is now, what are we to think about Pish? If there is a possibility that the same thing is happening to him, and I, I don't want to get ahead because we can't confirm or deny what, whether or not this is actually happening to him, but I'm just thinking logically here. Now that we have seen this with Becca, it seems very logical to me that bit, that Pish is being controlled by the abyss. Yeah. And if if it and, and I'm saying this honestly, I don't remember what happens coming coming down the pike. So if it turns out that Pish is being controlled by the abyss in the same way that Becca has been, I'm not surprised at all. And if that is the case, is Pish a villain? Or a victim. Yeah, I say instead of pish posh, we say poor pish. He's a victim. <laughs> if that's the case, yeah. if if that plays out as you've as you've just outlined here, yeah, it, he he's he's a pawn, and, and everybody's being played, and the strings are being pulled by the abyss itself. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, so here's another line of evidence that I have to support this: is the fact that. This show starts out with the idea that they keep jumping through Slipstream and just going to random places, yet Pish's bounty hunters are able to find them within an hour, every time. Okay. I posit that this communication that Becca is able to have with the Abyss is practically instantaneous communication stands to reason and then the abyss is then instantaneously communicating that to pish who is then sending his minions out so the majority of this hour or so that it takes for them to find them is just them getting their stuff together and going through slipstream and taking how long it takes to get there Yeah, no it makes perfect sense yeah so should should we if I'm able to figure this out, or if I'm able to come up with this theory, I, I would think Dylan should be able to come up with this too. So why is he not trying to save Pish the same way that he tried to and successfully tried to I, save Becca? I don't know. That is a that is a great point, because how interesting would this show be if Dylan Hunt was trying to figure out a way to get back to the capital, to, or wherever Pish is is located at and formulating a plan to try and get to him to do the same thing for Pish that has been done to Becca. That would, that would be interesting storytelling. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going there, but what you have just posited here makes perfect sense for the storytelling of bounty hunters just showing up and there's not an active uh, comm link leaving Andromeda that's signaling that where they're at so mm-hmm. yeah I mean, I mean you you have to accept that that's probably what's happening but then you have to put that that um that filter on that says we don't know how this is going to play out because I, I don't know and as you say you you don't remember the details of it so we're kill- we're still kind of in the blind here it's a great idea to discuss and to say wouldn't it be great if dylan could save pish but I think that's probably not what we're going to see play out. Just my gut. Pish is too much of an enemy. He's been made. He's been made into the villain. Too much of a villain. Uh, and, and Dylan certainly sees him as the villain. Uh, certainly from the outset of this episode. So I don't know. I think that's a bridge too far. Maybe maybe that's the the limit of uh, Dylan's empathy. Is yeah. is because Becca is there on his ship and he's he's had these experiences. He will go that extra mile to try and save her, but he just can't get there with Pish because Pish is a thorn well, in his side. Yeah, that's the thing though is when you when a villain gets so evil, there is no saving them. Like there's there's no redemption for someone like, for example, Anakin Skywalker. Right? He just goes too far. There is no. Oh wait a minute. <laughs> Right. Well, that's uh. Do, do you need a moment to think of a different example? No. Nope. Okay. All right. 
the dude was making a point. <laughs> so, so here's here's the last thing I'll say. I know I know that you're wanting to move on, but this is the last thing I want to say about the abyss is that if this is the case, and I really believe that it is, the abyss is scary, and the abyss is powerful, and the abyss is a terrible tactician. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because here's what I see is just from what we saw the abyss do when it was taking over Becca and when it was taking over the Andromeda itself, so many opportunities that it had that it could have just done away with everybody so easily, but it didn't take advantage of those opportunities. Instead, it followed the, traditional bond villain yeah. style yeah. of you know um in a, an Put, easily, an easily escapable, escapable scenario yeah, in which with, the, with the heroes can can prevail yeah. yeah but then even bigger picture back up just from this from what happened on the andromeda and again i'm making a lot of assumptions here but i'm going to go with this if the abyss is running the show with pish yeah then why send bounty hunters? Yeah. Why not send the, and, and they're doing fleet? this like, it's like video game style, yeah. you know, it's like one or two yeah. bad guys at you at a time. Yep. So you can swat them mm-hmm. down when there are like 50 of them at the ready. Yeah. If they all gang up on you at once, you're not going to win. Look, right. R- but right. Don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain. Okay. You know, ignore okay. that. Ignore that. Focus on the episode. Okay. Mm-hmm. You're get you're 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 putting way too much thought into what actually might work. I okay. I hear your advice, and I appreciate it. It's good, but I'm going to ignore you because <laughs> the Andromeda is a wanted ship. Yes, they are known across the galaxies as a criminal ship. They're wanted. By the Commonwealth. So it would be nothing for them to send out a Commonwealth High Guard fleet after them. Why aren't they doing that? Well, because there are other elements that are fighting on Dylan's side. I mean, we know he... I, I forget the, 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 the triumvir that uh, let him go, right? I forget his name mm-hmm. now already. But, you know, obviously he's got a fleet out there. So if they drop everything and send it out after Dylan Hunt, uh, you know, maybe that's an opportunity for that Triumvir to uh, move his fleet and, uh, you know, cause some cause some chaos, cause some problems elsewhere. Maybe the Abyss is being a decent tactician. Maybe he's being a little conservative hmm. with his chess pieces. So okay. there's a thought. I haven't right. got much more than that, so you could probably pick it apart. But, you know... I said my piece. All right. Well, so have I. Okay. Very good, then. So that's what we've learned about Agree to disagree. Agree to disagree. There we go. We'll see how it plays out. When in Rome. I don't think that's what that's supposed to mean, but okay. San Diego. Um, So (laughs) moving on, uh, we have a quote to consider here. Ryan, what is our quote for this episode? Cast your eye upon the changeling, then look for the origin of change. Perhaps it is in the eye. That was spoken by Luna in the Catalog of Companions, Commonwealth Year 302. Wow, that's even earlier than, what, 1827 or whenever it was that we talked about last time. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, this is early. That's practically the beginning of time. no kidding. Commonwealth time. Yeah. You want to take it first? All right, so we have the uh, eye. If you if you can't see this, uh, listeners, if you don't, if you weren't seeing this, I'm going to describe this to you. In both cases where the word "eye" is used, it is capitalized, uh, which to me indicates that it's being used as a proper noun. So when you cast your eye upon the changeling, uh, then look for the origin of change. Perhaps it is in the eye. Well, whose eye? The eye is of the beholder, as the saying goes. So, who is the changeling in this story? 
Well, we could say that it is Becca, but she's also got her eye on the abyss. So that's kind of, that's what I, I'm looking at here is that who is the one that's doing the watching? Well, we're all doing the watching. The crew's doing the watching. In this case, we see Becca as being the one that is being changed. But she's not really the changeling. The abyss is the changeling. But it's we see the change in Becca. Because she's the one with the eye. The eye to be able to, to, to see the abyss in a way that nobody else can. Interesting. That is not at all where I went. Oh, okay. So we're gonna have right. we're gonna have some diverging uh, conversation about this. No, but I, I like I like I, it's it's a. I would not say that that is not what the writer intended for that. Interesting take. Had okay. not thought of it that way. Here's where I went. Okay. The eye is the window to the soul. Is the first place my mind went with this, and so it says, "Cast your eye uh, upon the changeling." I view Becca as the changeling. She has changed. The nature of her demeanor, her personality, is changed, as we have seen in the last several episodes. So look for the origin of that change. Uh, perhaps it is in the eye. When when you get down into the persona of who Becca is, you see that she's infected with these radical isotopes, and therefore. Her men- mentally, she has changed, and so I—that's I, I, where I went with it. It, it seemed like a very straightforward um, way of looking at what's going on with Becca in her mind, and the fact that she was possessed by the abyss. And so, um, that's kind of where I went with this one. Mm-hmm. So, is is Becca the eye or the changeling? Well, it says cast your eye upon the changeling. I I very much see Becca as the changeling. Um, look for the origin so the of the eye? change. And so perhaps it is in the eye. And that's where I home in on the eye is the window to the soul. So looking to, mm-hmm. to the eye, looking at Becca's personality, we see the source of the change. And it is those radical isotopes that are in her brain that have to be mm-hmm. dealt with. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's just logically where my mind went with that. Okay. So... I'm just I'm 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 repeating this just to make sure that I'm understanding what you're saying. So, Becca is the changeling, or the changed. In, in I would your, say yes. Okay. So, the the way I read changeling, usually I think of a changeling as something that changes itself to serve its own needs. Yes. Yeah, that, and and I totally did not go there, but you're you're mm-hmm. referencing the changeling as the abyss. That's what you were seeing. No, and I totally get mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I just, I was coming at it from a whole different side of the coin. Hmm. And and I, and okay. and I'm looking at both explanations. I'm like, I wouldn't take one over the other. I mean, the, you really could take the saying and make it one perspective or another. And I don't think you, anyone could look at it and say, well, that this side, this is the wrong perspective and this is the correct perspective. I don't think you could do that here. Mm-hmm. What do you think? You're going to say I'm wrong, but that's fine. <laughs> that's you. That's you. Well, I mean, I just think that it's it's the way that it uses the capitalization here is the I and the changeling are two separate things. And so you look for the origin of change. What's the origin of the change is the abyss. Yeah. Is it yeah. not? So, but when you look for the origin of change, perhaps it is in the eye. The abyss was in Becca. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, from a certain point of view, yeah. This, the, yeah, your explanation works great. <laughs> from a certain point of view. Okay. <laughs> you know what? Let's talk about point of views for a minute. Here. Okay. Let's take some time to talk about what is, from your point of view, Ethan. How do you feel about this episode? Um, you know, I actually came to this discussion. When I started recording, I had a particular mindset about this episode that could not get around the fact that it was a clip show. And, you know, maybe that's the last, oh, how many years have we done this? 
<laughs> How many episodes that are clip shows have we discussed? Three or four, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I've I have tend I tend to fall into a certain mindset when we come to clip shows. But you know what? As this is one of those episodes where, as we have discussed it and brought out different points, I have found that I actually really appreciate this episode more than I thought I would. And so, you know, it, it, yeah, we, we can look at some of the things. You know, we didn't talk about the fact that they created a fake consciousness and then they lure the abyss into it. But somehow the abyss escapes from that fake consciousness, which is that fake consciousness in the computer. Is it how is it manifesting itself physically on the ship? These are things that I don't have answers to. Yeah. And, and I do. I didn't write any of that down because I thought that that was something that you would bring up. And here you have. I wanted to, but I so, didn't know where it belonged. And now, yeah, let's well, talk about I mean, it. well, the thing is that we didn't, we never really got an explanation for no. how the abyss escaped into the Andromeda. No. And that's what makes me nervous about the whole thing as far, okay, because in my summary, I, tongue in cheek, compared it to Moriarty and the ship in the bottle, yeah. right? So, but with that, we actually had a physical object yes. that they said, this is where Moriarty <laughs> is. He lives inside this box yeah. now. And and we don't and, have that here. We have a physical manifestation of something abyssy in the Andromeda mm-hmm. systems, the ghost in the machine. Yeah. So how did, how, did, how did it get there? What did they put it in? And what did, what it, did Trance contain in VR? If it was physically in present in the ship... What did Trance defeat? Well, the way I took it, she actually destroyed whatever it was. She didn't just contain it. Yeah. It was just that little piece of the abyss that was there inside there. She was able to... Which which means that Trance's consciousness was somehow transmitted throughout the circuitry of the ship and was able to trace down every last vestige of whatever part of the abyss was in the ship. Well, yeah, because it concentrated yeah. all in that moment, in that one humanoid form of a ball of energy. In the VR. In uh-huh. whatever location where Trance was at also. Because okay. I think it understood just what a foe Trance yeah. was, so it concentrated so it mustered all of its, its force energy. into that one uh-huh. centralized location. Okay, all right, fine. Yeah. That's, that's, that's an explanation. For that. For that, yes. <laughs> but it doesn't explain how it got out into the ship, you know. So so we right. have we have unresolved issues in this episode. But you know what? It's a good enough episode and resolves some other issues that we've talked about over the last several episodes that we've discussed. And I'm kind of able to, okay, yeah, it's not perfect, but I'm all right with it. And I can let it go, and I can look at this episode and say, this is a worthy episode of season four. It's resolving issues here. It's giving us some explanation that makes sense. And now I'm settled enough with what I've seen that I can be reasonably certain that Becca is part of the fight once again, and we're going to head toward a conclusion here. And so for that reason, I actually kind of like this episode especially now that we've talked about it in a little bit more detail. All right, I'm going to start out where we kind of jumped off together there with with all of the VR stuff and where did where did this thing go? Where were they trying to trap it? Cuz that was the plan. They were going to trap it. So, I mean, they came up with this whole idea very quickly and just put it together like just super genius pros, but I guess you got to trust in the Harper because the Harper is yep. good. Right? We heard that again. Yes. Yeah. So whatever. I guess that's why it's called science fiction, right? Um, I do generally like to say that I like to see a little bit more science in my science fiction, and I don't think that we got that. And so I do think that is for me. That is a big hole in this story, is I don't understand how the Abyss got from one place to another. I would have really liked to have had some more explanation for that. And I think that there was time 
to give us that explanation if they had taken out some of the clips that weren't necessary for progressing this story along. That being said, that's really kind of my only big issue with this episode. And yeah, it's a clip show. Some of the clips were fluff and time filler and unnecessary. But as I said before, I also feel like a lot of the clips in this show were very beneficial. They were helpful for recalling things that... that because... Because they... I'm having a hard time saying this. Because they wrote this so... Go well. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you just use the word I think you just used? Yeah. I'm wondering if you yeah. understand what the meaning of that word actually is. I don't Proceed. know. I don't know. Go ahead. I don't know what anything means. I don't know what anything means. Because because they wrote it in a way that was so subtle and very uncharacteristically not bonk bonk on the head. Right. Um, we were spoiled by that. We have been spoiled by that of things being so obvious. And now they do something very subtly and I missed it. I totally missed it. So to have these clips to connect these dots for me in this episode, um, I would just say thank you Pro- to the writers to the for writers, doing that. Yeah. Yes. Naomi Jensen, Larry, uh, because, and Paul Barber. Very good. Good on you. Because I needed that for this one. Um, so, yeah. I The clip show, that part, it just um, that's not even part of the equation for me in this one. What we did have was we have something that was set up set, uh, actually eight episodes ago. And it has been carrying on since then. And kind of under the radar, but it's been happening. And now we get the payoff. Not only a payoff, but we also get more setup, I feel like, for what is coming. Yeah. Because we're reminded again that, yes, the Abyss is still very much part of this story. It's still something that we have to contend with. Probably for the rest of this season, at least, and probably beyond. Um, I think that this episode is definitely would be considered essential viewing if you're going to do a watch through of Andromeda and just hit the high points, the plot points for the overarching arc of the series. Um, And then I think we also get some good character stuff. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think this is a good Season four episode. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. I would agree. But would everybody agree? All right. I don't know. I don't know what people out there are thinking. You know? I don't know. I think... I'd like to know a couple of things. I'd like to know what other people think. I would like to know which side of the quote people fall yes. on. And I'd also like to know what people think about this episode in general. How about you, Ethan? I, I, I agree. Yeah, I'd like to know both of those things. And if somebody did want to let us know, and you're invited to, how would they let they us know? They can send Ethan? us an email to drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. They can also find us on Facebook and Twitter using the, we are using the handle at AndromedaPod on both of those social media sites. We're also on Podbean, where we have our entire catalog of Andromeda Yes, and, you have something you want to say. And we just added, uh, I was able to interact a bit with uh, show's creator, Robert Hewitt-Wolf. Uh, the Coda had not been available for some time because he had allowed his uh, website that it was hosted on to expire. And I was able to reach out to him. He responded back and has sent me the Coda uh, at, uh, or the Andromeda series.podbean.com is now the sole host for Robert Hewitt Wolf's Coda, and it has its own page there on our on our webpage for the uh, the podcast. So go check that. That's out. right. And I also happen to notice uh, 
when I was doing research for uh, in preparation for this podcast that uh, the Andromeda wiki page if you look on any of the links that say Coda they are out of date and they still go they still redirect you back to the uh, the old website of Robert Hewitt Wolf's website so if anyone who runs that page happens to be listening might want to update that and start sending people our way because as you said we are the only place on the web that I know of where you can find that coda currently as of this recording if you listen to us on Apple or Spotify give us a rating and review we certainly appreciate that and it helps others to find the show as well good thanks to our big friend Doug Anderson for lending us his voice for the opening quote of this episode as always we are an age of geek production and we hope that you will join us next time as we break down the episode abridging the devil's divide 